Hey, this is Kyle Turner, the lead pastor of Hillsong, Kansas City. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you, encourages you, and most importantly, helps you get closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Great to see your faces. Let's welcome those that are watching online right now. Come on, let's give it up for those watching it online right now. Y'all didn't want to clap for them. I saw that. You're like, well, they're not here, so I'm not clapping for them. It's great to see you in church. Grab your seats. Right now, as we've been coming out of stay at home, back to live gatherings, now we've added the 9 a.m. back on the plaza. Soon we'll add it back here to north, but in the meantime, I'm going back and forth and back. It is a marathon, and therefore I have to be fast and furious with the word. So I hope you came ready to jump in. As Gabe just said, we started a new series, a new season of church called Frontline Faith. What's our faith look like on display? What's our faith look like for the world to see? What's it mean to have a faith that's active and engaging with the world that's around us? Frontlines. The frontlines is where the battle begins. Frontlines where it happens the first. And does your faith, what's it look like where it matters the most? It is in your engagement with people that is most significant to God. I think many of us, we have this personal faith, and personal faith is a powerful thing. You should have it. You should own it. It should be your intimate and growing relationship with God and His presence and you working His Word into your inner world. But there is an outworking of our faith that happens not just for us, but happens through us. That's what frontline faith is all about. And it takes some risk. I think when the Allied forces invaded Normandy, June 6th, let me check my notes. Yep, 1944. Such a historian. They decided if things were going to change, we had to go in in a costly place. We had to, if if things were, if momentum was going to shift, someone had to step in. And this is what I believe God wants. We need momentum to change in our world, in our nation. We need momentum to change in our schools. We need momentum to change in our city. And so if that's going to happen, someone has to step in. And there's a huge risk and a huge cost, but there's a huge victory on the other end. And we we wrote this declaration of faith for frontline faith. It's on your seat. I think those online can download it on the website a PDF, and I just want to read one little portion of that. It's got a little passage of scripture in it, and it says this, I will be faithful in my field. I live my life devoted, devoted to which is most essential, to what matters the most, devoted to which is essential, the saving of many lives. I humbly declare, here I am, God, and you can send me. But what I want to propose for you this morning Here I am matters more than you know. In fact, he already has you here, right here, right now. In other words, you're already sent. Wherever you find yourself today, in your relationships, in your influence, in your sphere, in your connectivity with the world around you, here I am. He's already sent you to right here and right now. Those online in the room, let's pray. Let's get our hearts ready to hear from God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word that is truth doesn't just have truth in it. It is truth, and it points us to what can change in us, but ultimately it points us to what you've already done for us, your grace. And so, Lord, I thank you do a new thing, do a a real change. 
I thank you for those that have not engaged with the frontline opportunities of this world that's around them, that they would own their place. Wherever they're at, here they are. Lord, you can use them. And Lord, we thank you that we are not avoiding risk or uncertainty, that our faith is active and it's changing the world around us. We thank you. You are so good. But we don't know when the Chiefs are going to play. You do. Some things are only in your hands. And we think we already have the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, lighten up. It's church. Jeez, okay. I will be faithful in my field. I live my life devoted to that which is essential, the saving of many lives. That is what is most important to God. God is so good, wants to do great things in you. Uh, I think he wants you to build a beautiful marriage, raise up amazing kids. He wants to, even your business life, he wants it to be influential. I think he wants it to be successful. But ultimately, the end goal of God's plan on the earth is to make sure that heaven is populated with as many children as possible. That as many of his dear, loved, precious, what he cares so much about that he sent his son to die for people are joining us in the place of eternity. That's what matters most to God. Therefore, if that's what's most on the heart of God, as his church, it should be on our heart as well. And you have more to do with that than you know. This is why you are on the front lines. This is why you have what you might think is insignificant. It is not. Your place in your platform, your position in life is to bring Jesus to the world around us. This is our frontline faith. Second Corinthians chapter four, he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. How many of that's a lot to be entrusted with? God must think that you're up for the job. By his grace, you're called to not, and we always pray, God, open doors for me. Of course, the Bible says, hey, he opens doors no man can open, close doors no man can close. God does open doors. But here it says, we're to open doors of reconciliation between God and man. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world. As though God were tenderly, how many know that's a good word? Tenderly, not attacking, tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips, through your voice, through your influence. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. Maybe in 2020, we, we need to change our language a little bit. Maybe we need to turn down some of the anger, the animosity, the noise, the hostility, turn up the sound of grace, turn up hope, turn up that there is peace between God and man. And if you find yourself only fueling on the frequency of all that has gone wrong in the world, then you'll just think that's a problem, someone else can solve it. Instead of realizing what God is asking of every one of us on the front lines is here you are, right where I've placed you, and you can do something significant, even eternal, with your life. There is a risk, though, but without the risk, you'll never receive the reward. I want to speak for a few moments on relationship risk, to live your life in the risk to live your life in the faith zone and live, live your life leveraging where you're at for what God wants to do, not just for you. And I'm all about a God who, who loves us where we're at and is growing us and is blessing us and is making us better. I, I think God actually wants to show himself off on your life and, and, and do great things in your life because the Bible teaches us like, hey, he actually puts us in places of promotion so the world would see, wow, God is good. I, I, I want that God in my life. 
but that we wouldn't live for just the reward. We would live ourselves in a little bit of that relational risk so that we could bring heaven to earth. Relationships have risk. You're sitting with your wife or your husband, your significant other. There was one of you that went first in asking him out. I remember when I first asked Liz out. It was awkward. I remember that first, I love you. How many know that is a risk to go first? And it gets weird sometimes because you in the Christian world, because we're like to love everybody. And so you might say, hey, I love you. And she goes back, I love you too, with the love of the Lord. <laughs> How many know that's a, I love you, but I'm not in love with you? Painful, there's risk. Nowadays, a lot less risk in relationships. Like you can just send a message. You can slide into a DM. But back in the day, shooting your shot meant you were guarded face to face. Right? It was eye to eye, and it was on the line. There was one exception. That, you, know, you normally graduated out of by the time you hit seventh grade, and that was to send the note. You all know what I'm talking about, the note. You sent the note. It was like this little relationship treaty that you wrote up, giving options to the one that you admired. And you made sure it, you know, it had to get to the right person. And you wrote the name on there, and then you said, will you go out with me, or will you be my girlfriend? Will you be my boyfriend? And then you have two options. There's a yes and there's a no. There's a risk, there's a reward. Now, if you were smart and you had the foresight and the wisdom of Solomon, you would use up all the space to eliminate them from making a change and adding a third option, which was the box that they would put maybe. How many of you got some maybes back in that note? But you just gave an option and it had some risk attached to it. Risk and rejection they're a part of life. They're a part of a frontline believer's life, but not without reward. I think many people are living their life in fear of rejection or alienation and never experiencing the exhilaration of knowing that you leveraged your life, your voice for what matters the most. And that's going to take some risk. Nothing ventured, nothing gain. And I want you to add your life to this great big kingdom adventure, which says, I'm going to live to populate heaven. I'm going to live to plunder hell. I'm going to live to make a lasting eternal change with my life, with my voice, with my relationships. There is a kingdom adventure. And I think so often we live for our own success, not realizing God sees our success based upon our faithfulness to bring the gospel to the world around us. And when we live that way, I do believe there's blessing attached to it. There is great reward. But the ultimate reward is not found in this lifetime. It's found in the life to come. And this is why it takes a frontline believer to see the situation or a relationship through a different perspective, looking at it through the eyes of eternity, through the lens of the everlasting, that not everything we do that really matters, we see in this life. We're going to see it in the life to come. There is a kingdom adventure. What's an adventure? It's an unusual and exciting, typically hazardous experience or activity. It's unusual. The Bible says we're unusual. We shouldn't be business as usual. First Peter 2 says you're a chosen generation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. How many know Christians are some of the most peculiar people on the planet? And we like things the Christian way. We like our Christian music. We like our Christian t-shirts. We like our Christian things, but as we looked at last week, we're not on the outside, we're right in the middle of it all. 
And we should be saturating culture, not with Christian things, but with Christ himself. And that comes to the preaching of the gospel. That comes to loving people, even people that are difficult to love. And that comes to living life on the front lines. I like this translation of 1 Peter better, but you are the ones chosen by God. Chosen for a high calling of priestly work. You didn't know you were a priest. You just became one today. Chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. From lost to saved. He's wanting to use... Not just your attendance in church. He wants to use your voice in the world. That is a huge ask and the greatest adventure of all. This is the adventure you were created for. Oftentimes we come into church, we get our relationship right, or we, 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 we love the culture of our church, and we begin to build a few friends and our connect, and the next thing you know, that's our circle, that's our world. And definitely you want to find friends of your future in the house. Definitely we do life together and we have intimacy and relationship and connectivity, but our connectivity is for a greater purpose. It's not just so that we have our needs met, it's so that we can meet the need of God. And God's need is for the world to know his love and his grace, the message of Jesus. This is what matters the most and there's risk in our relationship if we're living our life on purpose. When's the last time you risked it? When's the last time you leveraged it? And I realize maybe you're not in a place in your faith, and I hope to take you here very soon to where you could sit down with someone that you love or maybe someone you just met and share the gospel with them in a way that is filled with life. But ultimately it says, hey, all you have to do is share with them the difference he made for you. That takes the weight off of having a, 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 a doctorate in doctrine. All right, a degree in theology. No, it's just, what has he done for you? Liz and I were in a taxi this year, and uh, this guy, he wasn't, wasn't from America, and um, Liz was striking, he's from another country, and she's been living here a few years, and Liz strikes up a conversation with him, and she just starts to be like, well, do you have your fam- a family? Tell me about your family. He says, yeah, he has a son, he has a daughter, and he says, well, do you take him to church? I mean, well, Liz, don't play. And... <laughs> He's like, no, not really, you know. And then Liz just goes right for the jugular. Well, what about Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? And the guy says, well, yeah, I I believe Jesus is good. But then he began to break down all of his barriers and baggage when it comes to like a good God in a bad world. At this point, I got a swift elbow in the ribs to tell me to get off my phone and enter into the conversation. And we did our best just to love and encourage him. And I did my best to try to break down some barriers that he might have with the goodness of God and the fallenness of this world. And we did not lead him in a salvation prayer that day, but we did leave him and left him with getting some of his information to send him more. And and all I'm saying is like, I could have just taken that moment like I normally do just to stay on my phone and to stay in my world. But I'm thankful for someone else in the car with me and in relationship with me that challenged me to risk a little bit because there's more at play than we know. And that doesn't need to be your 24-7 lifestyle trying to talk to everybody about salvation and hell, heaven and hell and damnation and all these things. No, but it needs to be a part of your faith that you are willing to get into relational risk for the reward of salvation and what God can do through you. 
Frontliners say, I'll be faithful in my field. And what field does God have you in? Wherever you're at, you are positioned in a place, whether it's with two people or 200 people, to be a light, to bring salt, and to leverage your relationship for that which is eternal. And we always think of revival as thousands of people gathering in like a big tent or in, in an arena, revival really is hearts being revived one by one to the God of heaven. And that's the job of the whole church, every individual. And you can just relax by just saying your part, your story, what God leads you to, because the fruit isn't up to you, but the faithfulness is. And God is looking for faithful people in their field. First Corinthians Paul says, hey, one plants and another waters, but it's God that brings the increase. But if we're never planting and we're never watering, then we won't see the increase. It is supposedly quoted St. Francis Assisi to preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. I just challenge that thinking right now because historians and experts on St. Francis Assisi said he never said that. It's become this cute little saying that you might have posted out in your Instagram with your Bible and your mug and your journal and a flower. Somehow reason there's a flower in there. But he never said that. In fact, what he did say is this. He says, it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless your walking is our preaching. In other words, people are watching you wherever you go, so practice what you preach. But he says, go ahead and walk somewhere to preach. That's why you need to understand that the gospel isn't just our good deeds, it's actually the good news. And news is a story, it's a message, it's the message that matters the most. And so our life should be so filled to overflow with the good news of what God has done for us through the cross that it spills out to those that we come in contact with. And it requires that we would risk from time to time. Your life is a message, but your life also has a message of who you used to be and now who you are in Christ. Playing it safe is at odds with the Great Commission. Playing it safe is thinking of self. Most believers, in fact, all Western people, are into risk aversion or loss aversion. A famous study by social scientists and psychologists came in and Tversky realized that most people have a bias to avoid loss rather than make a gain. We fear losing more than we enjoy winning. I don't know about you, but I like to win. And I think there's something in the pulse of your heavenly father by your divine transfusion of grace on the inside of you that your blood actually pumps for winning the lost. Like this is where you know your faith is alive and active when it isn't about you anymore. It's about what God can do through you to reach the world around you. This is what it means to live front lines. I think about the great quote by Teddy Roosevelt in his speech, the man in the arena you ever read that? I'm going to give you just a couple highlights on it. The real reason I know about it is because LeBron writes man in the arena on his shoes, and I love that. That's how I get all my history by basketball players' shoes. It says this, it is not the critic who counts. How many know in the church we've been far too critical and not learned to leverage in love truth to the world around us? Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds might have done them better. The credit belongs to the man or the woman who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who comes up short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows the end 
the triumph of high achievement, or at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. In other words, anyone can have an opinion, and everyone can be critical, but what is most critical to the heart of God is people actually engaging in the frontline fight. And it's not a fight against anything. It's a fight for grace and truth to reach people right where they're at. Can we stop criticizing and complaining and pointing out how others could do it better and actually do it ourselves and get in whether we win or lose every time, whether we get the reward or we just have the risk that we realize how good it feels to be daring greatly. God is looking for a church to dare greatly, I think now more than ever. And when you can see what is really at stake, you won't hesitate to speak what is true. And of course, we speak the truth in what? Anyone? Love, okay, yeah. That was not a rhetorical question. We speak the truth in love, with love, not in judgment, not in condemnation. But sometimes love can challenge. And sometimes love can engage in difficulty. And sometimes love isn't always fun. But there is a fruit to our faithfulness when we learn to live our life on the front lines. This should affect your daily living. You're daily encouraging others. You're giving in life. You're sharing with others. You're serving of people Because according to the scriptures we read at the beginning, part of this is up to us. Part of this is the calling of the church. Not Hillsong Church, not the church down the street, but the people that say, I'm in to the movement of Jesus here on the earth. When I think about risky relationships, I think about Queen Esther. I mean, you know the story of Queen Esther? She's got her own book in the Bible. She's the original Disney princess, rags to riches, orphan to queen over the empire. And the emperor Xerxes ditched his wife, Queen Vashti, because he thought she disobeyed him. And they have a beauty contest for the ages. The next queen of the empire. And in the picture enters little orphan Esther. Jewish descent, lost her parents. She was adopted by her older cousin Mordecai. Now she's in the, the pageant. And they put her aside with other women. It says she was beautiful and, and she was lovely. We don't know a lot about her, but we know that she was put aside and pampered. They got her clothes right and she got a makeover. They were bathing her in essential oils. I mean, essential oils can cure everything. Just ask the person selling essential oils. And you've got a hemorrhage of your brain. What you need is a little jasmine do it every time. I'm sure they work for you. Moving on. When I preach back and forth like this, my hair comes out. My weave comes out. I gotta put it back in. Interesting thing about the, the book of Esther is God isn't mentioned. I know, hard to believe. It's in your Bible, but God doesn't speak. There's not a prophet that proclaims what God wants to do. There's not a burning bush There's not an angel that shows up to wake up Esther in the middle of the night to tell her what she's supposed to do. There's just a people at risk and a person with a platform. As if to say, God doesn't have to wake you up to tell you everything you're supposed to do. There's some things he's actually already said 
that we're called to. It is this great commission that Jesus has given us. And so here we have Esther, and she does not realize the problem facing her people because Mordecai and a guy named Haman, who is the chief officer to the emperor, get at odds with each other. Mordecai, her cousin, who had adopted her into his family, disrespects Haman, and Haman then plots a plan to kill all of God's people in the entire empire. And, And Esther doesn't know anything about it. Esther's just in that place of isolation, of privilege, of blessing, of favor, and it's great for her, but not good for God's people. And, and the story teaches us that God elevates people with, in providence for special times and special purposes, probably greater than she knew. She thought being the queen was all about her, and actually it was all about what God wanted to do through her. And she eventually owns the opportunity, and that's what I'm challenging you to today, own the opportunities. They are around you all the time for those that are aware. If we can get off, there's ever a season, 2020 has us looking out for ourselves like never before, myopic mentality. You're thinking about one day at a time. You're thinking about six feet at a time, right? You're thinking about yourself. If there's ever a time where the people of God need to get their eyes up like Jesus said, lift up your eyes, look at the harvest field. It's overripe. It's ready now more than ever. So there's a tension, but Esther is removed from the problem of her people. She doesn't know what's happening in the real world. Again, this is just a challenging thought for us in our Christian world that we're not engaging with the world around us. We're missing the whole purpose of the church. And Mordecai tries to get in to see her, to talk to her, but he's wearing sackcloth and ashes because it's a moment of mourning. But here's Esther. She's safe and secure. They won't let him in because of his clothes, and she hears about it. So what does she do? She sends him clothes that he rejects. He says, it's not about clothes. I don't need your gift. I need your ear. I need to talk to you. And we can sometimes give generously, but we're not really meeting the issue or the need of the people and the problem of humanity all around us. We learn from Esther that there's purpose and potential in every position. Mordecai gets her attention, says, do something, do anything, Your people, God's people need you. And she says, there's a problem, Mordecai, and I know you know this, but let me make you aware of the fact that you're asking a big risk. Esther chapter four, everyone who works for the king here, and even the people all over in the provinces know that there is a single fate. In other words, there's only one way this thing goes down. For every man or woman who approaches the king without being invited, death. The one exception is if the king, if you're willing to risk it, the king then extends his golden scepter, then he or she may live. And it's been 30 days now since I've been invited to come to the king. I haven't been invited for a month, and you want me to risk my life? I finally arrived. I've got it made. Things are finally, I didn't have parents growing up. All I had was problems, and God positioned me here. But then God begins to do a work in her heart, She realizes she's in this place of platform to save and secure others. And they go back and forth through the messenger. Then Mordecai says, don't think that you're going to get out of this thing. Just because you live in the king's house, even though the king didn't know he was signing the death certificate of his own wife when he made the proclamation to annihilate God's people, just because you're in the king's house, you're not going to be the one that gets out of this. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else. In other words, Mordecai says, I just trust God enough 
that he's going to do it some other way. But you and your family aren't going to make it. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. Who knows? Every problem that you've come up against, every blessing that you've received, every opportunity that comes your way, who knows the master plan of what God is up to in your life and in your world? Nobody but God. But if you stay silent, if you live as a critic, if you're pushing down other people, instead of living your life leveraged in relationship, if you're never risking, you'll never know. And how I long for you to experience the exhilaration of knowing your life, your leadership, your voice leveraged for God makes an eternal difference. And I long for you to know what it's like to lead someone else in salvation. When you bring your friend along to church and they give their life to Jesus, I love for you to feel that feeling because it's what you were made for. That's where your life finds lasting worth. I remember Gabe sitting here on the front row shared with me a few weeks ago the opportunity through the House of Hope, right behind us here in the North location, to lead someone in a, a salvation prayer that was there for groceries. And it'd been the first time, I believe, not from a platform, but from a face-to-face. He's invited friends and his friends have given their life to Jesus, and that's wonderful. Face-to-face led someone to change life. And the excitement and the passion and the the exhilaration for all that we do together as a church team and as a church family, it all was worth the risk because that reward was so much greater than you could ever get from anyone else. It's being a part of giving someone else help and hope and peace with God. That's real frontline faith. And I long for you to experience that in its fullness. Esther comes back and says, okay, will you fast and pray with me? I'm going to do it. And she says this, if I, even though it's forbidden, I'll go to the king. And if I die, I die. Man, to leave your place and your platform of being the queen to say, I'm willing to risk it. None of us are facing death in our decisions to live big for God. Not in this Western world, not in America. You might be facing some pain, some rejection, uncomfortable but can we just live so big for this beautiful calling and this big bold faith that we're called to live that when we view the mercies of God we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice this is God if you need me to speak I'll speak you need me to love this way I'll love if you need me to lead them I'll lead them if you need me to give I'll give you need me to serve I'll serve because at the end of the day it's not about me but can I tell you right now you don't need the summonsing of a king you've already been summoned by the king He's already chosen you before time began to show himself strong on your behalf. The place where you're at now might have come through hard work and discipline. It might have come through sacrifice and surrender. But God has positioned you in this place. Whether you feel it's low or high, it has a high calling. It's the greatest calling of all. And he wants to leverage your inner world, your circle, the people around you for something that's everlasting. And if you want to live on the front lines of faith, you've got to learn to break the rules every once in a while. Go against the law of the land. We're told right now to, you know, you're not supposed to talk about some things at dinner. You're not supposed to talk about politics. We all know that one's out the door. You're not supposed to talk about sex. It's too intimate. And we're not supposed to talk about religion. 
The truth is no one needs a discourse in religion. Everyone needs an opportunity to have a relationship. I love this statement that why should anyone hear the gospel twice until everyone has heard it for once? And I believe that with all my heart that like we don't need to just keep being fed week in and week out. We actually, if you really want your faith to come alive, you begin to say, okay, I'm gonna go where it's uncomfortable. I'm gonna knock on some doors. I'm gonna open some opportunities. I'm gonna speak some truth. I'm gonna speak some love. I'm gonna encourage this world around me. I'm not gonna live for my own security and my own safety because I don't wanna miss my destiny and I don't want others to miss eternity. And we're gonna live our life for something greater than we've ever seen. That is the thrill and the exhilaration of leading people to Jesus, bringing people into the house, seeing them added to the family. Esther goes on and throws a banquet for the king. She's savvy. She's smart. She doesn't just barge in. She invites him to something and he shows up. And then she takes her opportunity and puts her relationship and her life at risk. And God does something great in the heart of the king. He has a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of the proclamation. And that which Haman tried to destroy Mordecai and the Jews, God used to destroy the enemy. And we learn to leverage the little that we have for the lasting impact God wants to do in the king already summoned you the great commission matthew 28 then jesus came close to them i love that god isn't trying to get you to do something from a distance he's speaking close to your heart all authority in the universe has been given to me now go in my authority we make disciples we don't just wear christian t-shirts and listen to christian music we reach people we love people we build people we invest in people we encourage people we challenge people we give grace to people And as we do that, we make disciples of all nations. We baptize them into this new life in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We teach them to faithfully follow all of God's commands. And we never forget that he's with us every day until the end of the age. The world needs frontliners more than ever. Willing to risk, not living for your own security. No, no, we we live for sacrifice, not security. And when we do that, we're going to see kingdom come. This is my prayer this week for you as I've been preparing this message. My prayer would be, it would be so obvious this week, those in the room, those watching the line, the one, the two, the three, or the four, whatever the number is, the relationships that you know are far from God or even just slipping in their faith. The people right around you and that you would have divine moments of opportunity, but you wouldn't be so waiting for God to speak, because God's voice doesn't show up in Esther, but God's plan prevails. Because someone is willing to challenge the status quo of the situation and risk in the relationship. And my prayer for you is that you live risky this week. That you live risky for the rest of 2020. You experience the joy and the excitement and the exhilaration of being a frontliner in the faith. And that God would use your direct voice, your direct love, your direct encouragement, not just to bring people into church, but to bring people in a relationship with Him. And the people that maybe you've given up on or counted out or told you before they don't want anything to do with faith, they're going to come alive to Jesus. And then your faith is going to get supercharged beyond anything you've ever experienced because you'll know that the work of God's almighty hand happened through your voice, through your hand, and through your platform. Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. And I believe there's going to be a great commissioning in Hillsong, Kansas City to influence, to love, and to serve like never before so God can do what he's always wanted to do. Can I pray for you? We're going to worship in just a moment. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for everyone here. 
those watching online. Before time began, you created them on purpose, with a purpose, specially gifted and called. They might not know it. They might feel like they've been orphaned in life. No, Lord, you're raising them up to places of platform and calling. Just like Esther's story, it seems too good to be true. Would you do that for them? Would you begin to give them more influence and engagement with the world, whether it's their work or their family or their school? Give them a connectedness and a, a place where they can proclaim Jesus. Lord, let us always be filled with our lifestyle, not just our, our message. Let our life be a message, but then let us live our life willing to risk so that others can receive the reward of eternity. God, I pray right now you are anointing them for such a time as this, when our world needs it the most. Here we are, God. You can use us. You can send us. You positioned us. You can call us. You can proclaim through us. And Lord, I pray that the year would not go on. The, the, the year would not end. A year unlike any year. A year filled with so much frustration and pain that this year would not end without them knowing that their voice and their relationship was used by you to bring salvation to at least a single person. And then they would know that this year was not wasted, that you were working something eternal, even through everything we've been facing. Lord, I thank you that we're a frontline church, living our life filled with love and fueled with the mission of Jesus like never before. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray and proclaim. If you believe that, can I have an amen? Let's worship.